we will make this quick because we know your time is valuable. The Dairy Strong Conference is January 16th through the 18th in Green Bay, Wisconsin, a new location. And we'd love to see you there. You can learn more at dairystrong.org. You, your farm, and your future matter to us. Welcome to Dairy Stream, a podcast focusing on opportunities and challenges impacting the future of dairy. This podcast is brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, sister organizations fighting for sensible dairy policy in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Joanna Guza. With the average age of the U.S. farmer being around 60 years old, it has put more of an emphasis on the next generation. Exciting times, but it also comes with a lot of questions, conversations, and most importantly, decisions have to be made. Being prepared and connected to professionals to help you navigate succession planning and your exit strategy is key, and that's our focus today. We're joined with two experts, Judd Snyder. He oversees the strategic development and delivery of BMO's private bank personal wealth management platform to high net worth individuals, families, and organizations, including closely held and family-owned businesses, endowments, and foundations throughout the Midwest. Judd has over 29 years of experience in the financial services. We also have Brad Guzzi. He manages a portfolio of diverse production agricultural relationships made up of primarily dairy farms. Brad has over 28 years of experience in agricultural banking. In this first part, we're going to focus on big picture succession planning items and the exit strategy. And then in part two, we'll talk about how generational wealth is created. Well, to kick off our conversation, Brad, I'd like to get your input first. And then Judd, if you want to add to it, can you paint a picture of what succession planning was in previous generations to what we are experiencing and seeing now with farming? Succession planning has changed over the years for a lot of different reasons. One of them is the fact that there is a lot more money in the bank, so to speak, as far as the investment that's on the farm, for one. Um, And then the second thing is that the types of operations as far as business entities has changed and has gotten a lot more complicated. When you start thinking about it, it used to be all sole proprietorships where it was was a father handing a farm down to his son. And now it's a LLC that happens to be owned by a corporation that also owns two other LLCs that may be operating the farm. So that complication is a big thing that's going on and change the way succession planning is being done. Right. And Judd, from your perspective? I think emphasizing the complication that comes from today's agribusiness and farming operations. As Brad said, typically it was a generational transfer in the past as we thought about what the future of these businesses looked like. Today, there are many different alternatives. They can be strategic buyers. They can be roll-ups. The businesses have gotten large and complex to the point that really thinking forward and thinking about the future and succession planning for a farmer agribusiness is critically important. Brad, how do you determine if your farm has enough scale to compete in the new normal? I mean, we've heard people use that phrase before, and if you could kind of describe the new normal. I'll start out by prefacing this by, you know, the marketplace determines who can survive and who won't survive, right? In Clark County, for instance, we still have a can dump that takes canned milk. So there is a place in this business for all sizes it just may look different from a how they survive um, and how that operation moves forward. So it may be tied to non-farm income. It may be how much debt they can handle. 
when we look at farms, the adage is that it takes 70 cents to produce a dollar of revenue, gross revenue. It takes 20 cents to provide the capital for that business and another 10 is what you get to keep as a business is that 10 cents. So when you look at that now, understand that when you look at the complicated structures of farms, that 10 cents may actually be part of the operating expenses. But at the end of the day, it's all about how many dimes that you get to keep out of each dollar on the farm. And so when you look at scaling up, that's what you're trying to do is produce more dimes or more revenue that gets to stay with the family. I like that you didn't emphasize whether it was a large farm or a small farm. We're looking at that sense, that dime that a small farm or a large farm could save and become that new normal uh, and continue for the next generation. So thanks for laying that out, Brad. Judd, another thing that comes down to is those basic conversations that need to be had when it comes to succession planning. What are the basic conversations that need to be discussed when it comes to succession planning? And what is the hardest part? of those conversations? Yeah, well, gosh, I mean, they may be basic conversations, but they're not usually the easiest conversations we have. And the way we like to think about it is when you think about planning and the future of any business, any business is complicated as you think about what the future may hold. When you combine that with the really intensely personal aspects of family businesses and family business and agricultural space, uh, it becomes even more so. You know, so what we think about, we encourage early and candid conversations around what the next generation desires in terms of lifestyle, goals, aspirations. And, and these conversations, even though they can be fraught with some pretty personal feelings about what we want, and what we hope for, for our children and the next generation, they're critically important to have early so that there aren't surprises late. Uh, we think about whether there are multiple heirs to consider, multiple children in that generation, we do encourage people to think about, you know, is the sale to an outright third party likely? And what, and what would that look like then as we think about allocation across successors or across generations? You know, all these conversations can be both complicated and intimate. Uh, the thing that we really encourage is early work with a business transition consultant in, um, in a practice that specializes in this type of industry. You know, there are multiple places that do this well. I will put in somewhat of a shameless plug for BMO in that we have uh, both a really strong agribusiness practice on the commercial side. Brad is one of our leaders in that. And we've got strong business consulting opportunity on a business transition where we hope to meet with people prior to any sale being in place, prior to any opportunity uh, being on the docket, generally years in advance so that they can begin to think about all the different aspects of a business sale or business transition. So I, I preference this question to say basic conversations, but I know that emotions get tied into this. And I don't know if Brad or Judd have an example of, you know, making sure that you are working with a third party because how emotions can really play in succession planning. Well, sure. I'm sure Brad has many examples of this over the years with all the folks that he's worked with. You know, this is, I would say, a day-to-day -day part of our business on the wealth planning and strategy side. I wouldn't uh, have a specific example. We try and make sure that we keep confidentiality for all our clients. But what I would share is that when you have family dynamics come into a conversation where you're talking about generational or future wealth, which we'll talk about later on in this show, and you have all of the dynamics that go into a normal parent-child or uncle-nephew or niece relationship, it is helpful to have a third party to talk through, not necessarily to mediate, 
but just to help think through what all the different variables you want to consider are and maybe be able to help people articulate what their goals and aspirations are. The biggest thing is that Jed pointed out, and I, I can't highlight it enough, and that is early and often, is, is get those conversations going early and have them often. Um, communication doesn't happen easily in some families. Um, you have to break that wall down brick by brick so that you get the free flow of information across that wall and everybody can, can communicate what their needs and, and wants and desires are. That takes time. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen. And so early and often uh, would be the point I would want to keep driving home in this conversation. So now let's focus in on, quote unquote, the perfect time. How do you plan for the perfect time to exit? And Judd, that question's for you. Yeah, well, I have to admit, and I don't know if you can see it in my voice, but I'm smiling <laughs> a little bit because anybody in this industry knows that if you think you're going to wait for the perfect time for anything, uh, gosh, it is a really hard thing to time well. Uh, you know, we think about it in terms of thoughtful, strategic, well in advance conversations, but the fact is life almost never works that way. Um, and so if you think about the perfect time to exit, the pivot I'd make is thinking about what factors can come into play and how can you think about making sure those factors get you to success in the best way you can. You know, we think about factors like, are you faced with a, uh, an opportunity with a strategic buyer? A strategic buyer may end up seeing value in your operation in excess of the value you personally think it holds. What are macroeconomic trends? You know, we think about those every day in this industry about commodity prices and values. And, and yet from a buyer and seller perspective, trying to time that or find a good a point in time where we know that the tailwinds are stronger than the headwinds, that would be a key point. Interest rates, and this is something people don't always think about, but interest rates have a huge impact on future valuation. And so in a time when we see interest rates having risen again, this may be a time that's a little bit more difficult or you may not create quite as much value selling today as you would as interest rates start to decline again. And, and then the last thing that we think about and we try and help people think through is you may have the best deal in the world or the best opportunity. And if the time isn't right for the seller, if they still want to run the operation independently for a while or they have a different plan in place, then it may not be the right time to exit. Finding that confluence of the right macroeconomic trends the right strategic environment and the time that fits for a seller is kind of that that trifecta, if you will, about when the right time is to exit. So, Judd, from from what I'm hearing, you kind of gave the example of selling to a person or selling to the next generation. What about if you're trying to just end the farm? You're going to sell all of your your assets, your cattle. What about that type of perfect timing when it's just you're ready to be done? Yeah. So the. The hard part, I think, about that is um, that then gets, for many people, I think, deeply into the emotional side of as you're thinking about what's next for you, for your lifestyle, what's next for your operation. And if you don't have a successor and you don't have someone courting you in terms of a strategic partner to buy the operation, I think it's tougher. I think that that then, in my experience, and Brad can speak to this as well, it comes down to a, a pretty deeply personal decision around when can we make sure that we are creating the most value for ourselves and our heirs, independent of the emotions that rightfully come with uh, a change of that type. You know, and again, I would point back in my experience then to thinking about what the macroeconomic trends look like. As we've seen in the last three or four years, a year's difference, 
in terms of timing a sale and on land, on capital equipment, um, and on business property can make a huge difference in trying to hold on when you can to get to a point when the trends are positive or recognizing it may come in the next year and trends are positive, exiting a little early can have a big impact on someone's future wealth. Brad, your perspective on the perfect timing for exiting? There's a lot of different factors that go into when you decide that. I think Judd's right that the uh, the timing of the cycles um, is important in that. But yet, if you're truly done with it from an emotional standpoint and physical standpoint, it's time to exit probably because you're not going to be as efficient and you may lose value just in operating the farm as a loss, for example. Um, the other factor, um, and I'm not the tax guy here, and I, I'd tell you to t- consult with your experts on that, but I think you need to uh, consider the tax implications mm-hmm. and tax law changes that have been coming down the pike and just kind of understand what the tax implications could mean to a sale or to a exit strategy, whether that be timing the sale of one group of assets versus another and how that sale takes place. Um, all of that could impact your tax uh, situation. Right. Making sure we point out the tax implications that could happen. And Judd, I'm not sure if I heard this, but I want to double check. You You keep saying macro trends. Can you give examples of some of those macro trends that farmers need to be watching for if they're looking for that perfect exit time? So macroeconomics can be uh, can be a big, all-encompassing term that can relate to a bunch of different things. But I mean, the things specific to agribusiness that I would think from a macro perspective are, you know, land valuation, interest rates, global trends in terms of commodity prices, all the different winds that can be either headwinds or tailwinds that would impact value of someone's business today. Thank you for that. And so the one thing that you two preference was making sure we have these conversations early and often, but usually when you're selling to a third party, it's rarely planned decades in advance. Judd, what should a farm consider when selling the business to a third party? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I mean, there are many factors to consider, especially when these opportunities do come up, typically based on influences outside of a family's control. It does reflect back on our conversations around planning and strategy and having those in advance of an opportunity. But the things that we encourage our families to think about, think first about the structure of the opportunity at hand or the structure of the deal. You know, we've seen those, they can be all cash, which in some ways can be the easiest, although it typically means a quick exit from the business and not as much engagement going forward. There can be an earnout or an equity component to them. And oftentimes then, you know, is there the expectation that you or your next generation will stay involved in the business and continuing to work in some aspect over a period of years while you're earning out the valuation of it? Um, that may have impact on it. And then, you know, finally, once you've got the uh, transaction of the opportunity negotiated, the thought is, okay, then we need to think about how are proceeds dispersed? How do you want them directed? You know, do you think about them in terms of a lump sum over time, thinking about putting certain assets in trust, uh, some maybe in an irrevocable trust or a generation skipping trust to be able to make sure, again, back to Brad's point, you're thinking about it both from a liquidity standpoint, but also from a tax efficient standpoint. Last question as we wrap up this first part of Dairy Stream. Brad, how can a farm be prepared for the unexpected? And, you know, the first item that comes to my mind is a death in the family. And if you could speak to that and if there's any other unexpected items farms should think about. Yeah, there's a lot of different things that we think about. The ag world, we th- tend to talk about the uh, killer Ds, uh, death, divorce, disaster. 
I have a good friend that likes to address this a little bit differently, and he uh, he tends to uh, sit the family down around or the business uh, leadership around a table, and he puts a bottle in the middle of it, and he spins it, and whoever that pot, bottle points to, he says, okay, you're dead. Now, move on. Oh and uh, it's quite a dramatic, you know, situation, especially when you start asking questions and the person who's dead wants to answer them. So you have to uh, tell them to, you know, no, wait a minute here. You're, you're not allowed to give input to this problem because you are no longer alive. So, but it gets you to think about all the possibilities that could happen, right? And, and planning for that, because it may not be the elder generation that uh, dies first, right? And so we have to think about everyone on that leadership team on that farm and everything that could happen around that. I've seen unexpected things happen at all levels of operations, obviously being around it for as long as I have been. Emotionally, you can't prepare for that business-wise. You've got to think about a continuity plan for all contingencies. Right. It's not one straight path. This is how we're going to success. You know, our farm, we have to have multiple different options in case we have to go off course. So thank you guys for giving that perspective. We've been talking about succession planning and exit strategy. And the second part of Dairy Stream, we're going to focus in on creating that generational wealth. So make sure you stay with us. We will be right back with Dairy Stream after we hear from our sponsor. Because of the cynical and sometimes volatile nature of the dairy industry, it is critical for producers and agribusinesses to have a reliable financial partner they can rely on through unpredictable business cycles. Our agriculture specialists at BMO are well-versed in all facets of the food continuum, from inputs to retail and distribution, and they're ready to provide the financial solution that will allow you to improve your cash flow management, minimize your risk, and capitalize on growth opportunities. To learn more about how we can help, visit commercial.bmo.com backslash agriculture. Dairy Stream is brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. Well, the second part is going to focus in on creating generational wealth. And Judd, I'd like you to start the conversation. How is generational wealth generated? And can you share the basic process of generational wealth? I'm happy to speak about this. I think the first thing, though, that uh, we need to talk or at least to talk about a little bit is what do we mean by generational wealth? Mm-hmm. Generational wealth isn't necessarily a thing. It's a concept. It's a concept of having wealth that passes from one generation to the next or beyond. And so it's not necessarily an attainment or some X dollar amount and then you can provide for the next generation. What we recognize and, and we all know in the ag and dairy industry Families work over their lifetime, and in many cases, over multiple generations, building value. And they don't typically take out big distributions while working. They're not living a high lifestyle or a rich lifestyle. Instead, they reinvest it into the farm or agribusiness generation after generation. And so in this industry specifically, when an event happens, that value is monetized, and now that needs to be addressed. And that's what we're talking about, this opportunity to both create and then address generational wealth is typically at a sale or a transfer. And then thinking about all that work, all that time that families have put in over multiple generations, building a practice, building a farm, building their operations. How then do we think about that value? How do we think about accreting that value to future generations? How do we think about a family's philanthropic and charitable goals? How do we think about maybe commitments that they wanna make to their community or their church? These are all opportunities they have when they have an event like this take place. 
And so we talk to families in advance, again, back to Brad's comments about early and often, about thinking through when they have an opportunity and when they have a sale, how do they want that money allocated across many generations to come? The overarching theme is that it's unique. It, this is a unique, you know, not every business is generational. So it's really important to have key experts along the path so you can be creating that generational wealth. So, Judd, one other thing I wanted to talk about was the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act doubled the lifetime estate and gift tax exemption. Those provisions are set to expire January 1st of 2026, you know, bearing any changes to the tax law between now and then. What does this mean for farm succession planning and their options? Boy, well, I will tell you, you handled that question extremely well because it is a mouthful to say the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Uh, And it's not just a mouthful to say, it's a mouthful and a headful to think about what impact that can have. So I'll start off my answer by saying, remember, Brad and I are bankers. Make sure that you're talking to your tax accountants and your professionals in that industry, because while we have experience and while we're happy to share that experience, we also want to make sure you get the best and soundest advice from multiple advisors. Look, the the 2017 Act materially increased the lifetime estate exemption, and this is meaningful in a business where you have significant assets, you have land, you have equipment, you have commodities, you have business valuations that can quickly add up well in excess of the previous estate exemption, and honestly can pretty quickly get close to even what the new uh, lifetime estate exemption is. And so what we encourage people to think about the expiration of that increase is coming on January 1st, 2026. It's actually not that far away. Mm-hmm. And it's important to begin doing considered planning for that event. We talk to people about using irrevocable trusts, using generation skipping trusts, thinking about getting ahead of it. And by doing that, by getting ahead of that 2026 deadline, it's something that may pay off pretty significantly for families in the long run. We saw this uh, in multiple industries and in multiple businesses, but it really specifically to the agricultural and dairy businesses can be extremely significant because of the values of the assets in these businesses. One question that just popped up, Judd, as you were answering that question. So it's important to have your banker, your lawyer or attorney. Who else is a key player that should be involved in the succession and generational wealth process? That's a great question. So when we think about the people that someone will want around them as they're beginning to do uh, planning and preparation for a sale, you know, the people we think about are uh, someone like Brad, an experienced commercial and agribusiness banker who's been through liquidity cycles, who can help you think about your business. We think about someone on the wealth planning side to help think about, you know, how you may allocate proceeds or how you may think about the future for yourself and for other generations. We think about an advisor, an estate attorney, or someone who can help you think about the different structural elements, trusts, and things like that that you may use. And then obviously, and we mentioned this before, there certainly are tax implications to a sale or a transition. And so we think about a tax professional or tax accountant to make sure they're part of your team as well. And then the people we can't forget, it's just like we've talked about throughout the earlier part of this podcast, have your family at the table with you. Those conversations generally are best when most of the parties, if not all the parties who are gonna be a part of this, understand from the start about what your plans are and how things will unfold. And, and so it's a collaborative process and very transparent as opposed to a surprise at the end. 
Right. I want to emphasize because we've done a whole series on succession planning and your last comment. It sounds, you know, basic. Yeah. The next generation should be at the table. But from, you know, other experts we've had on Dairy Stream, they said, no, that's not the case. They forget to bring the next generation that's going to be making the decisions down the line to make sure they're at the table. Now, Brad, this next question's for you. You know, downturns change the way some operators view their liquidity and the conditions of their balance sheets. It brought home the fact that liquidity is critical to surviving a down cycle. Can you walk through an example and also share how this can better position the opportunity for generational wealth? When we talk about the balance sheet, uh, liquidity is that stuff that we can turn to cash relatively easily. So we want to make sure we understand what we're talking about when we're talking about liquidity. It's essentially cash and cash-like things. So cash and cash-like things, so that may be line availability as well included in that uh, from the perspective of having access to liquidity or cash to make things happen. When we talk about that, as the business is in cycles, we want to make sure that we have plenty of that working capital, that liquidity to manage through those cycles that's the first use of it but the second use of of it is that it gives you some opportunities for example i have a a farm that i know of that in the middle of covid was able to buy the neighboring property for significantly under the value of that farm because he had cash and the ability to purchase it with a cash offer and so he made that happen in the middle of covid when land values had slumped and so he bought it significantly under what the market was actually showing at the time. So it created wealth for his farm now, and it created equity in a relatively quick hurry as we came back out of COVID and the land value came up. I saw it with tractors when machinery values plummet and things like that. It's just an opportunity to use that cash to create more wealth is what it really boils down to in that liquidity. Brad, one of the, your answer in the the first part was, you know, being prepared for the unexpected. And we talked, one of your items was divorce. And I want you to touch on that. But even just in general, what items should be considered when family members get married and, and having children? That's a really tough one to to have a conversation. And it's tough even on the families and the and the siblings and everything else, because you know, you're bringing somebody, especially in the case of a marriage that's happening in a generation down, you're bringing somebody into the farm that maybe doesn't have the same connection. And, you know, we all fear divorce um, and, and that's real. I would advise you again to talk to an attorney about what options you have available as far as business structure, as far as a prenuptial agreement, if that's necessary. Those are all hard conversations to have with that incoming spouse. Um, no matter how you have that conversation, it's 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 a tough conversation to have. But I think it's important to manage that um, up front rather than later. Make sure that we have the understanding of who is getting ownership and who's going into business with whom when those things happen. One thing I feel like we didn't really cover is what about when there's uh, several kids in the family and the farm's ready to hand it over to the next generation, but just one of those kids is interested in the farm and then there's the other kids that say, hey, so-and-so gets all of it. What would you say to a farm that's maybe going through that type of experience? Fair and equal are not the same. That is the first answer I would give every time. Generally speaking, when you're talking about that young man or woman on the farm that is going to be taking over the next generation of that operation, 
they've worked on that operation for several years and actually put a lot of sweat equity into that farm um, and that operation. So whether they did it by not receiving a market wage for all the time they put in on the farm, or in some cases, the decision to expand would not have been made had not that next generation come onto the farm. So when we start looking at it, having, again, it goes back to having those conversations and early and often on it, because when you do those expansions with one child and not everyone involved, you need to think about, okay, the equity before was a set number and now it's another number 10 years later, how much share should each kid get of that earned equity over that life of that business since the expansion. And I would argue that the non-farm children should not probably be included in that equity gain. You know, Brett, I love the way you said that. And I, I think that's something I'll take away from this conversation. And I think everyone should fair and equal are two separate things, especially as we think about family dynamics in that next generation. You know, oftentimes we think about trying to be equal or fair for all of our kids. And yet, I love your point about the fact that the next generation who is planning to be the successor generation to that business or to this agribusiness has been putting in significant work to build the value of that business. That I'll just double down on one thing you said. I think the commitment that a family can make to transparent conversations with that earlier generation still involved and at the table, so before there's an event or before something happens, being really clear about what things will look like in the future, uh, even though it may be difficult at the time, generally leads to much better outcomes and better family dynamics in the future. Right. We have to remember that risk that that one child is taking by taking on the farm. And we hope that they are successful, but we won't don't want to see any resentment from the other family members if that one, you know, sibling is successful on the farm. Before we go on to the next question, there's another follow up I wanted to ask because I feel like we didn't cover it because I've, I've heard the conversation pop up and there's so many different viewpoints, but life insurance. When does life insurance play a role in your succession plan? There are significant strategic and planning um, uses for life insurance in any business. Uh, so we generally, all of us, at least of my generation and, and uh, us older folks, think about insurance as just a catastrophic event. I'm going to have life insurance so that if something happens to me or the patriarch or matriarch of the family, we have proceeds to cover things for our kids or keep things going. But the fact is there are significant financial and strategic uses of life insurance for business planning. Uh, there, We see owners and we see business owners use life insurance as a way to pre-fund taxes that they know may be due on the sale of a business or a change of a business. That can be done through a um, little bit more structured life insurance, sometimes with a cash value component. We also see life insurance used for that specific event when an unexpected death happens. Again, thinking about it from a tax impact and from being able to cover the unexpected costs that come with transitioning a business from one generation to the next. So great question. We think there's a lot of um, significant potential use of insurance uh, as we think about business transition. I would add some things to that, Judd. Uh, you make some great points. And on the strategic side, I would add that one of the ways that we need to think about creating generational wealth is not having to buy the farm a second time. So when we start thinking about the family dynamics and you have the on-farm kids and the non-farm kids, right? You have the two different groups. You may want to think about using life insurance as a 
tool to help fund the buyout of a non-farming family member. Thank you guys for that insight. Two more questions as we wrap up the second part of Dairy Stream. Judd, this is for you and Brad, if you want to add to it, for farmers that want to still be involved after the farm has been passed to the next generation, what does that look like and what's the best fit? And I I see you both smiling. I know one thing I think about is that that previous generation still kind of making a lot of those decisions. How do we make sure that they're still a part of the farm, but not so much, you know, letting the younger generation take the reins? Well, you know, I, I saw this question and I just couldn't help but smile. You know, we've tried to help on the planning and financial side, and and certainly there's a whole bunch of complexity that goes into thinking about that. But I'll tell you, I, I have eight kids, and I can tell you clearly that each one of them would have a different idea about how they want me involved in any of their business going <laughs> forward, much less in a day-to-day operation. Uh, you know, I, to me, it comes back to a couple of key considerations. First of all, if we have done a third party sales we talked about earlier where either the current generation or the next generation is still involved in the earnout there may be financial aspects to that previous generation still being involved you know there may be either some management requirement or some board connection or something like that setting that aside uh, if it truly is just a question around how the previous generation wants to continue to have input or be helpful to that next generation as they're working in I think it really comes back again, and we've said this multiple times, to having those clear and transparent conversations around personal topics. You know, it it, uh, it sounds simple, but when we're all sitting around the table and we've now said that we're going to pass the rights, responsibilities, and potential risks onto that next generation, and then continue to say, but I'll tell you how to do it. You know, that's a tough conversation to have, and it's one that, um, you know, back to much of our planning and strategic conversations we talked about earlier, it's just another added layer to the conversation of, please help me understand, how can I still be helpful to you, and yet how can I also get out of the way and let you run the business, because now it's in your hands. Brad, anything you'd like to add? When we talk about the transition of an operation from one generation to the next, it really you know, while it may be complicated and all that kind of stuff, transitioning the assets and doing that kind of stuff is relatively easy. Transitioning management is a really different game. And so how do we, as as that leader of that operation or that farm, transition our management skill set and the management of that operation of that next generation? And that needs to be a part of the conversation early as well. In fact, it probably needs to precede some of this because as that older generation, I want to make sure that that younger generation can handle the management of my operation long after I'm gone. So we may want to think about how we do that and how we prepare that next generation. Really great insight. Final question for both you and Brad, I'd like you to start. What final advice do you have for farmers when it comes to succession planning? You know, I I think we've hit on it quite a bit, and I'm just going to do it again early and often. It is truly get together early, get together often. It's not a create a plan and then put it on a shelf and leave it alone. That thing should be revisited every single year. You should look at it and go, are we in the same situation we were? Have things changed? What about the macroeconomics? What has changed? And think about that every year. What has happened to the family dynamics? Maybe they've changed, but we should be addressing this and looking at this every year and making sure. So it's early and often, and Judd hit it multiple times, transparent. 
be transparent about it every single time you have those conversations. Brad, I, I think the only thing I'd add to what you shared is our, our lives get incredibly busy. And especially when we are raising our children, when we're running a business, when there is this intersection in our industry between business and personal, that, that quite honestly is different in, in the ag industry than it is in a lot of others. And finding the time to break away from the day-to-day -day stresses and break away from the day-to-day -day management of the business and sit down with someone months and really candidly years in advance to understand what impact a sale or a business transition will have. That's probably the, the biggest advice I've got. There are specialists in this field who can help you and help you prepare for something that may not happen for one year, two years, five years, or 10 years. But by being prepared for it, you can have a much better outcome for you, your family, and for the generations to come. Well, you can tell both of you guys combined have, you know, nearly 60 years of experience. Thank you so much for being a resource and sharing your experiences and, and expertise with us today on Dairy Stream. I also want to make sure that I congratulate any farmers that are in this transition phase. I mean, what an accomplishment of running a successful business and being able to pass it on. We don't want to make it sound like it's a chore, but this is what an opportunity that this is, that you are passing the farm on, or you're going to end your career on a really high note. So thank you so much for tuning Tuning in to Dairy Stream, I'm Joanna Guza for Dairy Stream. The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We value your feedback, and if there's something you'd like to hear, email us at podcast at dairyforward.com.